Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello. Hello. There you are. How you doing? Good. How are you doing, Shannon? I'm not doing very well. It's nice to meet you. Pleasant to meet you as well. Yeah. I went through my fall clothes to get my cardigan to join you on the... Already. The conversation today. It's the end of an era, isn't it? <laughs> the summer's done. Yeah, getting a little chilly here. Why do you have several copies of an airplane book behind you? Oh, that's one my uncle wrote. Oh. Um, Is he an aviator? Uh, no, he's a Freemason. Oh. Um, he lives in Gander, Newfoundland. And if you remember back on September 11, 2001, uh, they landed 13,000 people uh, in Gander, Newfoundland. The famous play, uh, Come From Away, that spent years on Broadways and toured all over North America. Um, what, what family wants to go see come from away, the famous play, um, we get VIP tickets because the, uh, United Fishermen's Lodge, the Masonic Lodges, the Lions Clubs, the Women's Auxiliaries, all of the small community trust networks in Gander, Newfoundland, population of only a few thousand people, uh, lit up and, uh, and figured out how to handle 13,500 people wow. in Gander, Newfoundland, when, when as an international airport, they landed like all these planes. Wow. I didn't so hear my, this story. Well, you heard the September 11th story, right? Well, I have heard about <laughs> September 11th, 2001. I was there um, on that day. I mean, I was in Portland, but I remember the day. Yeah. 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 I remember where I was. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty, uh, I mean, it's one of those Canadian uh, hospitality stories and good old down home Newfoundland, uh, we're going to take care of you with some uh, salt fish and brews and some, uh, some, some Newfie screech. And, you know, my, my head cut out the new part. And uh, now I understand that this is a Canadian uh, uh, triumph. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, do you still identify or have you ever identified as Canadian? Is Canada something that you're into or in or belong to? Uh, you know, like starting to wonder, mm. uh, starting to wonder, lots of people are, are concerned about where we are at the moment yeah. here with, uh, with how, Maple progress China. how progressed, uh, progressivism has become. Um, yeah. and, uh, I've lived all over the country lived in five or 10 provinces. Uh, I actually drove from coast to coast this summer. Uh, well, I started at end of March and, and uh, spent some time in BC and Alberta and hung out with some friends, hung out with Eva in Calgary, had a coffee with her and uh, Eva Kurlova. If, uh, I think most viewers know her. She's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I talked to teachers and school trustees and the special advisors to the Alberta education uh, minister. And uh, I'm running for school trustee here in Ottawa, trying to push back on woke and raise some awareness and stuff like that. Yeah. 
finished uh, my cross country with uh, breakfast slash coffee with Mark Mercer, who's the head of uh, SAFS, Society for Academic Freedom and Scholarship, uh, our sort of version of FIRE. Yeah. Um, so. Are you guys as embattled? Uh, it sounds like you guys are much more embattled than we are uh, in the United States. Like, we, we sneezed the woke, and you guys got, like, the woke flu, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I haven't traveled in the States in years. Uh, so I don't, you know. And after the 2020 election, I sort of pulled out from, like, full-time paying attention to what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then I looked around here and like, what the hell is going on? Because um, I'd been sucked in more to global media, and then and then right right down into local politics. It's uh, hmm. uh, kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. are taking steps as a good citizen uh, to ensure uh, that freedom reigns or reestablishes itself. Yeah, we're doing our. I never wanted to be a politician mm. uh, or, or a public figure for that matter. But uh, I think it's our responsibility to stand up and, and speak. And especially when people don't want you to speak, I think it's even more reason to say it. And so, yeah, I've got a lot of, got a good crew going on here in Ottawa. Uh, really? Chanel Falls, Chanel Falls, a good friend of mine. Yeah. Uh, you had her on recently and uh, I'm going to have a cocktail with uh, Mia Mia tonight. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, All good friends. Cool people are up there. Yeah, rumor has it, uh, Chris Elson's going to come back to town in September. I don't know if that's true or not, but it'd be great to see He's always somewhere. He doesn't yeah, stop. I got my face on Fox News, uh, last week when he was on because they put the picture of us at the truckers rally. Oh, yeah. And it, I think that was Mia and Chanel and myself. Might have been Heather Mason, too. Um, and we were right in front of this like row of trucks. Uh, Benjamin, it was like, it was so emotional. The five of us were standing there with our signs and the crowd literally parted. There were thousands and thousands of people there. Horns were going off and Chris took his tripod and he set it up and we stood in the line and the crowd just circled around us and they were clapping and cheering and telling us like, you know, thank you for what you're doing. And, um, uh, it's been, it's been an adventure in the last year for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, yeah. do you have anything to report specifically about that uh, honking the great trucker pro, uh, protest? Because uh, um, the media would have us believe that it was an ultra-fascist, violent protest that, that teetered Canada on the edge of the abyss. Um, yeah. Is that true from your point of view? <laughs> well, I work downtown, and all my colleagues are in the office. We... We're a small enough number that we stayed through COVID and, and uh, um, they all had a chance to walk around. And after a couple of days, they were bringing their kids down there to have hot dogs and oh. play in the bouncy castles. <laughs> the, uh, and no one in Ottawa believes this. You bring this up and it's like you're, you're a blasphemer and a terrible person. And a, but uh, I felt safer down there. It was like a Canada Day. Like Fourth of July in Washington, I'm sure. Like Canada Day is pretty big here, but whenever I've been to a Canada Day, my old street smarts have always kind of been in the back of my mind. You know, like you know, drunk kids and partying and guys strutting around with their you know elbows out. And you just 
you know, like take the family this way and leave those guys be. There was zero like that. I felt like nothing but joy. Um, you know, a lot of people sort of testifying that, oh, it's hope, you know, it's love and it's freedom. And, it, and there was a fair amount of like William Wallace, freedom! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which was great. But it was like, it was like there was so much tension and, and frustration built up through the lockdowns. This is just like a pressure release and fist bumping and hugs and smiles. And, and, uh, and it was really stunning. It was like, there's this sphere or bubble around the downtown core around the area where this happened. And, and then when you like left, you crossed over the boundary into like the normal world, I guess it was like the air was kind of sizzling, like really like my, like paranoid street smarts, like, uh, worried actually about violence and, and, and counter that people, you know, would be aggressive with people on the margins from the general public, because some of the hyper woke people were, you know, like they're carrying on as they carry on and, and accusing others of all the things that they're doing. Hmm. And that felt like a danger zone. It felt like leaving the bar when I was like in, you know, my early twenties, uh, kind of when the lights are coming on, like you don't want to get in a fight. You just want to get your, get yourself clear and, and, and get into, you know, get in the car and leave. Hmm. And that was sort of that, that space or that zone. And I've talked to a bunch of people about that um, who have who kind of nod and say, yeah, that's exactly what I felt too. Um, and uh, I've had a chance to chat with, um, you come across a Rupa Subramania? Maybe. Okay. So she wrote for Barry Weiss about the truckers. Um, and she was just on uh, Jordan Peterson's podcast with a panel, like big story. Anyway, she uh, she walked around uh, and talked and interviewed to you know some of the protesters and the people in the truck. Sometimes till two o'clock in the morning. She lives downtown too. Um, she writes for the National Post. She's an economist. She's you know like fairly well uh, published now. Um, and talking about the same thing. It was on the edges or on the boundaries where things felt kind of unsafe um, and, and where you kind of felt like you had to watch your back. But, hmm. uh, you know, amazing people. Uh, I'm, I'm really disappointed in my fellow Ottawans, actually, because, you know, we're really lucky here. We're the most educated city in North America, more masters and, and graduate degrees than any other city in North America and government workers and technology and if you look at the entire region, we're the highest per capita income region in Canada, like privilege, right? Like the privilege, privilege. And then when we've got working class Canadians who are frustrated and, and, you know, small town and their small business has been affected and their family's been affected and they don't have any other way to articulate the frustration, you know, um, trying to come to Ottawa to, you know, get people to listen. And we just, we treated them like garbage. It was terrible. The, uh, the class, uh, structure, um, is, uh, pretty apparent with regard to the woke. The weird thing though, getting toward, uh, the conversation, uh, we're nominally going to have is that the gender issue is, uh, eating the elite alive, uh, it's targeting spe specifically their children and, uh, doing a lot of work to harm, uh, girls and boys of of your cohort of the elite cohort and the structure of wokeness as an ideology 
is, is uh, protecting, uh, well, doing the opposite of protecting the kids. It's protecting the adults yeah. from dealing with this issue head on. And uh, you have, you're one of many people who is targeting this and trying to figure out what's going on with gender specifically. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, how would you like to go about telling your story or at least telling us about the tools that you're developing uh, to shed more light on, on the gender issue? Yeah. Well, I came to this as a parent. Uh, I won't share too many details about my family situation, but uh, I'm a dad unit to four kids, um, two bio kids and two uh, step kids. And my step kids have been a part of my life for 15 years and they're wonderful and they're all grown up now. And uh, one of the kids uh, got into the gender stuff, um, started medicalizing uh, 15 months ago or so, came to me and came to us with the news and uh, I started asking questions. Uh, I, I'm a, I have some training in research. I did my research methodology, statistical anal analysis, research design for the humanities and stuff like that when I was in university. Um, I'm like one credit short of a psych degree. Um, yeah. Which credit would that be? And why don't you just get it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I changed my majors. Uh, I went into the creative writing department at UBC uh, in the 90s, um, which was, I think it's Iowa Writing School. It was like, it was Iowa Writing School and the UBC Writing Program, like two of the top writing schools in the world. Uh, portfolio program, and you know, only about 15 or 18 people accepted every year. And I, I focused on nonfiction research. And uh, they, they make you take a bunch of genres, right? So I had to write a stage play and I had to write experimental fiction and some other stuff. And, um, and uh, in the nonfiction world, which turned into the journalism school at UBC, it was like ethics in research for nonfiction. And, you know, like how do you create creative nonfiction and, and, and represent reality? So what are interview techniques and what's information gathering and, and what style do we use and how do we treat truth? So we debated the truth for a couple of years. Um, and then I became a chartered investment manager uh, just recently. It's a fairly long program, but I've been in finance for 20 years, a fiduciary. And so I have to analyze information and put it into, into stuff that I'm going to stake my career on every time I give somebody advice. Yeah. So pretty important to me to be, uh, you know, to get good information. And I started digging into the medical research beyond what looks like, like sales propaganda and woke propaganda when you start Googling. And also what's, what's the, what's the long-term impact of cross-sex hormones? What's this going to do to our family? And, and you know, what, what kind of health risks are we engaging in? And, and it just, it terrified me. It didn't take very long to figure out what happens to, you know, uh, your, to a person who's on cross-sex hormones for a couple of years and the risks they undertake. So I raised that with my child and, uh, and they said I was transphobic and bigoted and they cut me out of their life. Like happens to so many other parents. Hmm. And I know parents all over, um, tiptoe because they're kind of aware of this. They tiptoe around it to try and keep close to the kids. And I think that's a really important thing. Um, and in my case, uh, for a bunch of reasons that didn't work. 
and then I couldn't, I couldn't keep quiet. Um, partly for my own family because I do anything for my kids and uh, partly for all those other families uh, who need a voice. And I started asking myself, okay, what kind of lever can I pull? What can I do uh, to make a difference here? And then uh, Billboard Chris came to Ottawa in October, uh, late October, and he was on Parliament Hill with the signs. And uh, our one of our mayor candidates, Catherine McKinney, uh, called him out on, the, on local radio and, you know, the usual bigot, transphobe, hate, all this stuff. And uh, I reached out to him, realizing that day that he was in town, um, and uh, said, look, whatever you're doing tomorrow, I'll come out. And uh, he said, well, I was going to fly out tonight, but uh, with McKinney trashing me, I feel like I'm getting run, a, run out of the city, right? So I, I, I want to do something tomorrow. And and I think I'm going to go and I'm going to, there's three schools, two high schools, Catholic and public, and, and, a, and a middle school in a row. And I think I'm going to go just stand on the street corner across from the school. I said, great, let me know and I'll meet you there. So Chanel Fall met us there. It was the first time I met Chanel. We chatted in the car for five minutes. We put on our signs. We walked to the corner. And literally within 60 seconds, someone had slammed on the brakes in front of us. A guy popped out of the car, started yelling at Chris, you're violating my rights and violating my children's rights by being here and all the, all the crazy stuff that he deals with all the time. And just to be clear for anybody who hasn't met Chris, he's been on my channel a couple of times. There's ample media around him, but his billboard that he wears basically says that children cannot consent to puberty blockers. And this is construed as hateful rhetoric and uh, harmful uh, and, and somehow violent. But his, yeah. he's, it's very precise that he's talking about puberty blockers with children and cross-sex hormones with children. And yeah. he's just specifically talking to that issue. Yeah. Gender ideology in schools is another one gen, uh, mm -hmm. that he wears. I think I was wearing a sign that said, uh, no one is ever born in the wrong body. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Anyway, so we had a guy pop out of the car and start yelling at Chris and say, well, you know, I'm going to assault you and the cops aren't going to do anything because I'm 53 years old and I've got no record. And, and he proceeded to assault Chris. Okay. Um, and it's sort of comical. Like like recently he got hit by a guy on a skateboard in Vancouver. Um, and, you know, we were on 911 and then there was half a dozen cop cars and that sort of ended our, our public demonstration for the day. And once again, Chris said, well, I feel like I'm getting run out of town if I leave now, so I'm going to go back tomorrow. So we said, well, let's do it. And the, the Rainbow Ottawa Carleton Coalition, a couple of rainbow groups coordinated with the school trustee, the school board, and the mayoral candidate to whip up a mob. And they whipped up a mob. Uh, our local CTV news estimated about 300 people. So it was like 300 on three. And Chris put up a ton of video of that in October. Uh, and they were pushing us around and wrapping our heads in banners and like, 
you know, telling us we'd need to, you know, die in a horrible fire. And, and, you know, Chris was spray painted and Chanel had stuff poured on her and his car was vandalized. And, uh, like these are the anti-bullies, right? Um, uh, kind of baffles me. Hmm. Uh, and I walked away from that going like, what the hell? Like what, what is, I had realized we were in trouble. I've been tracking, you know, Jordan Peterson since 2016 and some of the university stuff going on here in Ontario, U of Ottawa and Queens and, and Ryerson, um, you know, borderline riots and alarm pulling and, and things like that, canceling speakers. But I didn't realize just how bad it was. And then I'm a professional networker. That's how I've made my career is glad, I think glad handing. It's not, it's being glib. Well, it's I, better I than help. panhandling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I help bridge trust between people. And in my networking um, uh, proficiencies, as I've developed them over the years, I talk to an awful lot of people about what is it you're looking for and how could I help you? And then when you talk to enough people, pretty soon it's like, oh, I know a person who's looking for this and you can do this. So let's, let's, you know, bring those things together. And my, I built my professional practice as a, like a collateral of that, of connecting awesome people. And I was at a, you know, professional networking event. I bumped into somebody I, I knew who had tracked this. And when I said I was there, she said, oh, well, I am really curious about that. I was thinking of running an AI to see what the sentiment was. So she's the CEO of a company that um, does um, uh, market research for global corporations, as well as polling data. Like, And they've closed the margin of error on polling in ways that the traditional polling never could. And as we know, traditional polling has collapsed in terms of its reliability. So they're getting, uh, they're getting great results, able to do text and um, sort of real language analysis on platforms, Twitter, Reddit, their primary text platforms. Um, and I've convinced them to work with Tumblr. So they did a quick query, ran a couple of days, picked up the number of conversations before and after the event. You know, Chris Elston's goal is to increase is to generate conversations and he's doing it one-on-one -on -one, but we were able to measure the increase in conversations around the subject because of what happened to us in in digital space mm -hmm. and and then be able to determine that approximately two-thirds were against medical transition of children in the conversation so then i then i got i got to thinking a bit and i reached out Another person in Ottawa, Pamela Buffoni, I don't know if you've had her on the show. So she took Ontario Human Rights, she took the school board to court because her daughter was taught gender construction theory at six years old in school. There's no such thing as boys and, and girls, and you can be a boy or you can be a girl, whatever you decide. Um, and we expect a decision on that case in the next couple of weeks. Um, anyway, I was talking to Pam. And she said, well, maybe I should introduce you to Lisa, meaning Lisa Littman. And so I started a conversation with Lisa Littman and Jane Wheeler from uh, RHYME, Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics. We invited Lisa Marciano, the Jungian analyst, to join us in the conversation. Um, Mia Ashton uh, is uh, in our working group. 
um, and a couple of others that I won't name uh, because they're parents of ROGD kids um, or they're working in situations where they can't speak publicly. But we wanted us to build a board of directors and then we, we explored what the AI could do and we're about to launch. Um, and what's really neat about this is we can do a regression analysis. So we can look back in digital time back to 2012 and we can measure sentiment and we can measure the tracking of how this evolved online. And then we can start looking at what happened in media in, in, in other forms, like what happened when ja uh, I Am Jazz launched, what happened when Caitlyn Jenner came out, what happened, you know, woman of the year, those, those big media events. What can, is there a correlation between sort of those things and the conversation online? Some of the biggest questions, and I reached out to Abigail Schreier when I was originally exploring this and, and we connected really briefly to the point like, you know, keep me posted. Um, but one of the big questions that she had, had sort of postulated or considered was, you know, what, how is, what are the mechanisms of this, what we believe is social contagion? How's this working, right? And we have all these, oh, the other person who's been really, really awesome in, in our working group is Helena. Um, and, uh, you know, because of testimonies of people like Helena uh, about what's been happening on, you know, particularly uh, Tumblr uh, in, in those um, spaces, uh, the anime sort of subcultures and the uh, fandoms and all these places. And then the, and then the identity politics uh, that seems to correlate. So we have a lot of anecdotal, anecdotal correlations about what's happening online, but we've been limited by, um, you know, some of its funding, some of its like qualitative analysis. So when Dr. Littman published uh, the detransitioner piece, I think it was early this year, you know, she's snowball sampling a hundred detransitioners to ask them a set of questions, yeah, yeah. which is really valuable research. Um, and we're able to build with the AI a much larger framework to get independent, um, you know, ID stripped points, people uh, in the tens of thousands and do so on an independent sampling method so we can get very good samples um, that uh, where this AI machine learning tool has um, been able to, well, the, the process is patented and it's published and, and, and it produces peer reviewable data. Hmm. So the big, big lift in the beginning is to build the, the data sample. You look like you're going to sneeze. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> One second. <coughs> One second. There we go. So with this, uh, this AI, could I feed all of my detransitioner stories in there and it would be able to tug apart all the different patterns uh, that the cohort that I've interviewed with uh, and somehow just figure out what they're saying and then start to match that with patterns elsewhere? Yeah, it's not quite like, you know, feed it to hell 9000 and, and right? but yeah. it, it so the, the, I think the really important thing here um, 
couple of things. One is like I'm not a scientist. I'm trying to I'm trying to distill the scientific and math language down into stuff that we can all kind of wrap our heads around. And people talk about AI like it's a black box. Like it, it's really so multidimensional that it's hard to understand how it works. You kind of yeah. you feed your stuff in one side and it comes out the other. Um, the initial exploration, I, I use the analogy. It, it's there's a difference between a traveler and a tourist. Uh, have you ever heard that? No. So uh, a tourist g- goes to, to a place to see what they want to see, but a traveler goes to see what's there. So we're going to deploy, we're going to give the a framework to the machine learning. It's, it's, a, it's a, 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 from scratch. We just, they run the algorithm and, and sort of systems that they have, but programmed with, you know, point in the direction or set the traveler on the path. And then the traveler is going to come back and give us, a, a, you know, observations of what it saw and patterns that start to emerge. And then we identify, okay, what are how, what are our constituent groups that we're talking about? When they do political analysis, it's you know what's the left and the right, what's the undecided, and what are the what are the margins? And so that initial query will be to establish the data, the sample set, which will be in the tens of thousands instead of a hundred. Um, and then patterns will start to emerge and then we'll start to kind of attempt to identify constituent groups. And then, uh, as we see some of that, those patterns emerging, we'll have a chance to like ask questions or to refine with written text, conversational language, because that's what the, uh, the AI kind of works in. So we could take those, some of those detransition stories or, you know, Helena talks about, um, head cannons. I had no idea what that was until I had a chat with her. And a, and a headcanon is like this, this uh, fan fiction idea of, of, you know, changing the roles of people within a story. Like what if Harry Potter was a, was a girl or, you know, uh, fell in love with Ron are. instead of, uh, sure. Jenny exactly. Or, so, yeah. so, so it's, it's, it's a fan fiction version of reality. And there's, there's a lot of uh, nuanced and, and sort of culture specific language there. And so we'll be able to put in some of those um, criteria and language to help refine um, how the AI is processing. And then... You so know, the, do, do you even know what you're looking for yet? Or what what is the tool supposed to do? Or what do you want from the tool? Or yeah. do you even know that yet? So I'll give you an example. A well-established uh, application of this is uh, election uh, analysis, polling. And uh, in the last Canadian election, I guess that was October last year, um, it came to light in the last 10 days, week in the campaign that suddenly the abortion issue became relevant and could flip seats in Canada. And that was because of legislation that was uh, being proposed or debated in Texas, that it sort of washed over, was it the use of the Americans uh, catch a cold and yeah, get yeah. The pneumonia or whatever, right? Yeah. So it it became uh, suddenly an issue that the AI picked up on as a as a meme, right? Like in the in the sense of Richard Dawkins meme, like a yeah, unit yeah. of culture. Yeah. There, it, there was an identifiable group that might tip one way or the other if a politician had decided to use that as a as an issue. Now there are hmm. uh, you remember Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, because you briefly I'll refresh, refresh everybody. Yeah, so Cambridge Analytica 
kind of came to uh, consciousness or awareness after the 2016 election, where uh, the Republican campaign for Trump had used a, I think Cambridge Analytica was a British firm, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. and they were they had slightly different uh, tools and properties, but they were able to identify how people would make decisions and then micro-target them with advertising to to find people in you know in state a potentially to get them to state b and what do you need to do in the middle to move them over so this is this tool that we're using is observational it's not manipulative whereas whereas cambridge analytica was was a manipulative tool um so we can identify these different constituents and then understand how people make decisions so the application why that's widely used where the company is really making its impact is market research how do consumers make decisions to go from thinking about it to buying it and what are consumers looking for um years and years ago like i was i guess i was just graduating high school when the mazda miata came out the uh, mx5 i think it is this little coupe car and Mazda had been able to figure out what the market wanted when there was no such car in the market mm-hmm. And so the AI can kind of figure out some of those things that people are looking for, but, but you know, companies aren't currently providing, or how could they make products better? Hmm. So this market research and market analytics is a, is a powerful tool. Now, where the, you're, you're processing. Things. Well, you, I'm, I'm wondering if, if you are, I wonder if you could reverse engineer decision-making by saying that the, there's this gender issue and try yeah. to figure out why people are into the gender issue right? yeah. by, by seeing how they get into it and what the triggers are. If you can figure out the questions of why is this relevant to them of all the things, why is this relevant and so relevant and yeah. causing people to behave so, uh, you know, running out and punching people that, that question this, right? Yeah. So where we where I'm curious, and this is where we start to get into the speculation, where the scientists start yeah, to get yeah. a, little, a, a little uncomfortable, right? So I want to I want to protect them. We're we're creating a a white paper. We've got a cognitive scientist. We've got medical uh, inputs and expertise, and, and and so I want to be clear here that that these are questions that we're asking, and we might find answers to. But from from watching your show uh, and knowing how many people you've talked to, detransitioners and and uh you know people with all kinds of experience in this um and and from other stories and anecdotes we know that um well helena talks about uh you know deciding or you know maybe i am non-binary because it was sort of this she was the cishet white girl and the bottom of the um you know the social justice hierarchy so if i if i'm non-binary well then i, I fit in a little better mm-hmm. And and so what are what are those inflection points? Yeah, mapping is incentives. A curi- yeah, is a curiosity of mine. What are the dopamine payoffs? Like the love bombing? Is there love bombing happening? Because yeah. it seems an- anecdotally that when someone comes out, there's this like pile of you know likes and you're so brave and you know courageous and congratulations and and all this this in- dopaminergic incentive. Um. So we're curious about how how is there an aggregate pattern that we can see where people are, you know, like are being drawn into this, like following, you know, um, a, a trail of, you know, candy into the forest. Hmm. Um, 
is is yeah. there a is there a pattern drawing people into this yeah I, w- I was just speaking with colin wright yesterday he's a evolutionary biologist he runs oh. uh, what, what's his thing uh, reality's last stand substack and he gets memed every once in a while um and we were talking about we strayed from the gender topic into new atheism and how we strayed into that is because new atheism kind of started to act extremely religiously specifically around gender Right. So there was a skeptic community that was formed by arguing against Christianity specifically yeah. and arguing against God. But then you couldn't really question Islam. But then eventually it spiraled and got infected by a form of social justice. And now some of the top skeptics in that field are absolutely bonkers when it comes to gender specifically. So there's something odd about gender and it would be cool to see if you could go through because it's all that that entire movement is is recorded it was all text-based to begin with so you could totally analyze that you'd have to crunch that number right but presumably with a tool that you're developing or tools like you're developing you could actually watch and map how a movement that's right. Became religious in that specific way. Yeah. And then also see what it is or start to see the outlines of why gender itself became such a fervent religious topic for these yeah. ultimate ult, ultra skeptics, which is just so mm-hmm. hard. So, yeah. Uh, some of the research that the company has done is on uh, indicators of suicidality and are there patterns that can be identified. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And they and they've there's been researchers who've published around that, and so you know you we're looking could at also probably to even do uh, minority report levels of uh, pre crime. Uh, you could probably identify people who are likely to go <laughs> oh, rampant shooter, right? right? By studying, you know, it's a good media. conversation. We know it's a good conversation when Philip K. Dick is coming up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, This is a powerful tool, but uh, if used correctly, um, can also be very helpful. Yeah, we're really curious to find out if there are patterns of co- coercion, explicit coercion, mm. um, grooming. You know, grooming. Yeah, you're not allowed to say that word now. Um, you know, I've talked with uh, GNC centric, uh, and and watched her on your podca- podcast and her testimony of the stuff. Uh, you know, some of the really dark stuff that's going on uh, in some of these corners of the internet. And, um, you know, are there patterns of adult predators, uh, influencing kids? Yeah. Um, can, can we even kind of figure out those markers? Because when we start playing around with changing pronouns and changing names and changing identities, it's, you know, this is where the AI is going to have to be refined and we're going to have to be really careful. Yeah. And then, and then sort of towards the end of the cycle, if we think of this as a process, uh, can we figure out wh- where questions start? Like what do you mean? For, de- for detransitioners, like, how do I, 
when they start asking questions like, am I really trans? Have I really made the right decision? Um, Jane Wheeler from Rhyme is very curious about, because most of these platforms, you're not allowed to advertise um, for plastic surgery or hormones or, you know, that's explicit. And you can't advertise for, you know, weight loss and body modification and, and these things that, that take vulnerable girls down into these places um, where, where, like, we know girls, teenage girls are vulnerable. We've known for decades, and it's been sort of this series of, of dark places that girls have been, you know, I, when I was growing up, it was anorexia, bulimia, and then it was cutting, and, you know, um, it's gender just another iteration of this where girls are being, um, and the, their vulnerabilities are being exploited for, I don't know, marketing purposes, for commerce, for like a, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, can we figure out if there are questions that people start asking that help them are helping them exit or before they kind of drop off and change their names and emerge somewhere else again as their, as their true selves. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, like Helena did and, and like, like others are doing um, lots and lots of questions. So we, we've got about, uh, well, I put up the pit piece a couple of weeks ago, which I shared with you. I, I think I gave you a heads up just before that was published. And uh, that got a lot of attention. Uh, I got a note back from, from Pitt after 24 hours, almost 7,000 reads in 24 hours. And I was like, kind of like strapped to my chair for three days answering emails because there was so much response. Like, how can I help you? Mm. Um, we're kind of, it's a, let's say it's a less than formal crowdsourcing funding model we have right now, partly because I don't want to put up on one of the big uh, GoFundMe platforms and then have the TRAs like attack this. Um, so we're, we're keeping it tight. Um, I've invited um, basically what I'm calling founding contributors to participate, which means that the numbers are small. I'm contributing $5,000 to the project. We're looking at about 40 to $50,000 US to run this for six months. Okay. And, and what's that cost made up of uh, just uh, server costs or, and the data analysis peeps? So the, the firm hasn't used Tumblr in a number of years. Their primary data sources are Reddit and, um, and Twitter. So we're adding sort of the extra platform. They're going to have to do some, some re-engineering, some retooling of the AI uh, to go back into Tumblr. And uh, there's some geographic segmentation, you know, the engineering and management, and then processing. So the, we we had a conversation with the chief data scientist a few weeks ago, and he was trying to explain this in layman's terms. Like, we can't take the whole internet and figure out, because it's too big and there's too many people. So we've got to find independent, very independent data sources, people, and then the machine then has to find another independent sample. So not something, some, not a person that's connected to the original, someone that's independent. So we're creating all these independent data points to eliminate bias, basically. And uh, they've figured out a shortcut where instead of taking, you know, a few hours to find an independent from the last, it takes about 60 seconds. 
But even at 60 seconds, you know, one a minute, if we want to build a data source or a, a data sample that's in the tens of thousands, it's going to take weeks. Um, and so that's sort of like that, that hard crunching in the beginning to build the data set and the, and the source. And, uh, and then queries are, are so that there's about a 20,000 US startup cost to get from, you know, like green light to our first, this iteration in there that we're giving some feedback and, um, and then we get our first reports in about six weeks. This um, could also be used later on down the road or form the basis of understanding uh, what it is to be media literate or literate about the internet to become more aware of how interacting with information that is crowdsourced uh, through comment fields, through Reddit, through conversations online and various different role play um, sites and Twitter itself, um, et cetera, how they start to influence us, how they start to shape what we start to think about and what we start to obsess about and uh, how, how it, it's, it, it's kind of like probably pretty predictive how human psychology works and then seeing yeah. how emergent, uh, let's say the gender, uh, ideology is and how it's so addictive, uh, not just through its, uh, you know, like the, the cult dynamics, like you were saying with love bombing and, and reinforcing and, and, uh, shepherding or keeping people in the flock, but also other aspects of questions and, and attractors, uh, that, or just kind of natural to the human, probably natural to girls more than boys or boys more than girls and yeah. start to become more and more wise about this landscape uh, that we live in. So really, you know, Benjamin, I've talked to quite a lot of people about this now uh, for us trying to figure out what some of the outcomes and what the utilities might be. You're the first person to articulate that, I think. Uh, in terms of media literacy and in terms of helping educate people how that some of these mechanics work. You're absolutely right. Um, it, it, of course, the biggest question, I think, is can we demonstrate that this is a social contagion? Um, yeah. I, I mean, look, what, yawns are socially contagious. <laughs> <laughs> and so are mysectomies. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah, weird, right? Um, and and can we can we definitively say this? Uh, um, Mia Ashton had put up uh, Crimea River on Twitter had put up a tweet thread a couple of months ago um, about social contagion, and Nicholas Christakis from Yale retweeted it and said, "Yes, indeed." And he used the word transgenderism. There are aspects of transgenderism that are certainly social contagion. Uh, so we've got one of the world's you know leading experts on contagion. Mm -hmm. talking about this now and we invited him to the conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh and uh hmm. and a couple of months went by and we didn't really like didn't hear from him and then one day pop in oh gosh i don't know how i missed this email this is really interesting i'd like to chat excellent so we had a conversation with him about some of the the factors of contagion and we're incorporating some of that into our our ideas and uh uh, you know, legislation, policy formation, okay. uh, you know, like giving feedback now to uh, social media companies and, 
and trying to inform the public, um, helping kids learn media literacy. Um, if this demonstrates how, you know, how manipulative this is and, yeah. and well, helping parents educate kids. And I can already assume that people empowered wouldn't want this to be known because they probably use a lot of the tricks to maintain their power. It seems like what some people call the cathedral is very good at, uh, like we saw with the trucker con uh, conflict yep. or uh, protest, um, like we saw in 2020 um, with the United States election, with Black Lives Matter, with how George Floyd went viral, with how those protests were covered up or uh, excused uh, by the, the people who a month later were demanding everybody stay in their home. But somehow racism it makes you inoculated to this virus, right? So there's all this media manipulation that's going on. And the gender stuff is kind of, um, I mean, it, it is uh, in line with other aspects of the people who are in power. We know Joe Biden's administration all on board with the trans kid thing. Um, yeah. So it would seem that this tool might kind of prove that the emperor has no clothes in ways that would really embarrass the powers that be um, on a number of different levels, not just the TRAs, but the people in the medical industry, the people in the school industry, the people in the government who are all on board with this and pushing this, um, even if they are doing it under good intentions, uh, they're hoodwinked themselves. It could potentially prove um, that this is a mass delusion. Um, and the people who are deluded have a lot to lose uh, by being shown to be deluded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we were talking about Freemasons earlier. Now I'm starting to feel really paranoid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to go there. I, I, I think, it, you know, there, this is unique in the world as far as I can tell. And, um, and I'm at a... I'm at a unique intersectional place it, yeah. where I have the contacts and the relationships and the skills yep. and the, and the networks and uh, to, to, to facilitate this and then give it over to the scientists to, you know, analyze and, and come up with, um, you know, good quality uh, understanding of, uh, or, you yep. know, uh, what this, we get out of it. This isn't just about the gender ideology. This is about mapping ideology in and of itself. You could actually use this or, or launch this into studying religions, how religions operate, how political movements or, operate. Or, or you know, uh, fanatical extremism, um, the, uh, what do they call it, the uh, radicalization process in, in, that, that uh, are people are subjected to from various ideologies and religious extremist traditions and um, how, what, what are those motivators? And I'm, and I'm sure the, the, um, the intelligence agencies are listening into all this and they're well ahead of us, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> they, they know how all hope, these mechanics, yeah. yeah, how all these mechanics work, but uh, from, from a sort of a public information uh, perspective, as far as I know, this is, this is unique. Um, the response was so good, and I, I hinted to you in our in our last exchange that I was going to make an announcement. Uh, we're giving the green light to launch the A on Monday. Oh. So by the time, by, I think by the time you put this up, uh, we'll have hit the button, and the the generosity of contributors has been extraordinary. I was holding a twenty thousand dollar mark roughly as my as my green light to go, and um, in the in the last ten days, we've we've just like. Um, the momentum is there. We're not quite at, we're about 75% of the way, but you know, uh, it's been, 
overwhelming and uh you know a lot of people I've been in big business deals before, like big ones, where there's a quarter million or a half million dollars on the line for a business, and we're doing, and and you, you never want to like put your emotions all into that, right? You, you do your job, you analyze carefully, you, um, and you you don't you don't spend the money before it happens, or you don't you know kind of like what's my bonus going to be here or whatever that was. Um, so I've I've kind of learned I don't I don't want to pin hopes on this. I'm reserving myself emotionally. And, and, and I, I think it's potentially big, hmm. um, what we can get out of this. Uh, I wrote a piece a while back that got a little bit of traction on my Substack. Uh, I, I called it the gender bubble because of my career in the stock market. I've been through three, well, two major stock market bursts and then a couple of big corrections and COVID and, and, you know, I'm trained in helping people work through cognitive bias, avoiding cognitive bias, um, because of mass hysterias. Uh, and this is one of the things that I asked Dr. Christakis about as well, because he, he's had some stuff to say about mass psychogenic illness and, you know, the, the pandemic itself and the three phases of pandemic. Um, it can... Um, can we burst this bubble like a stock market bubble? We woke up one day and said like these asset mortgage toxic things that were repackaged from, from liar loans and, and bad credit loans in the States to people buying homes are suddenly no good. And the, the you know, the party's over and then there's an economic implosion, you know, in, on one, you know, in the beginning, the graph goes straight up stock market bubble graph looks like you could just overlay the gender graph on the stock market bubble graph. It looks exactly the same. Yeah. And then it tends to plummet down the other side. Like, oh, people wake up and go, oh, well, God, of course that was a bad idea. Um, and we have centuries of stock market data hmm. that shows this pattern over and over again. So I think that we're at a point right now where we've had the, the collapse of the Tavistock, where we've had, uh, you know, um, uh, Betterman, the uh, UK's uh, Attorney General, made her, made her statement last week. The National Health Minister of the UK, you know, the French Medical Association, Australia, FDA, all that stuff, and and even in Canada, last well, not last Saturday, a couple of days ago, uh, the editorial board of the National Post, one of our two major newspapers, Post Media in Canada, announced that they that. Well, they said we're suggesting caution and advising, and they mentioned the Tavistock and all this stuff. The former head of the largest gender clinic in Canada spoke out uh, 10 days ago, two weeks ago. Um, we're, st we're seeing cracks, right? We're seeing like the, the, you know, the, maybe the bubbles bursting. Canada media has refused to report on this in any meaningful way other than Barbara Kay and John Kay, from what I understand. Yeah. And now yeah. they're like, uh put in an editorial, even though we've been suppressing this story, because obviously they had to have been suppressing the story. It's one of the hugest stories um, yeah. of this generation of Gen Z. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Barbara Kay um, has been great about getting stuff up and, and there's a whole letter writing and like advocacy group sort of yeah. underground in Canada. And we're not unique. I'm sure uh, great people, diligent, trying to get the attention of media to get this story out. Very little coverage, but the uh, yeah, I think the National Post was a was a break 
in the in the wall of silence. Um, and now we're talking about official, you know, former head of the gender clinic here in a big gender clinic here in Canada. I've been hammering on um, our local children's hospital, Children's Hospital Eastern Ontario, in social media, in my uh, campaign for school board trustee, pointing to the the numbers are in 2014, approximately eight eight kids went through the gender clinic, and now it's 200 to 250 a year, um, and pushing at media. Uh, I've had a couple of big smears in the last week. Uh, oh, good. Yeah. 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 You know I, got, I, target. <laughs> I got written up on, on antihate.ca. Oh yeah. Like a, yeah. You guys like have your badge little, of honor. <laughs> your little, uh, what, the, the politic, you get, what, what's it called? The Soviet, uh, one of those Soviet era thought policing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, deliberate funded by the government and, uh, you know, Trudeau's best friend shills for donors on this. Every time there's a so-called hate incident, give your money here. And so they've got the government of Canada label on their site and it's, it's tabloid quality content that's just designed to smear people. Um, and, and I said to the reporter from CTV, who, you know, that's one of our local TV stations. They contacted me on Sunday and wanted an interview. I said, look, you're going to have to change your narrative. You're going to have to change your, your editorial position on this story because you can't hold it together anymore. And I, and I itemized for him in the email. And then I, and then I just fed him 15 minutes of facts. And he's saying, well, puberty blockers are totally safe. No, they're not. Uh, and here's, here's all the reasons why. So they published the hit piece on me anyway. Uh, but it's getting to the point where they can't, you can't hide this anymore. Yeah. Um, people are waking up. The response to my public advertising for my campaign has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, although there's, you know, like the radicals and the, you know, bizarre threats and accusations and hysterias and things like that coming from the TRA camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there was, I don't know if you caught this, but there was a libs of TikTok thing that went viral yesterday where so this is Thursday, the uh, 25th, a, an Ottawa public school teacher advocating uh, for keeping secrets about gender transition from parents in multiple tweets. It's a violation of parental's rights to, to the moral education of their kids. Like in international law, like this is protected. There's a reason why parents have these rights to moral education of their children. Hmm. The state can't take over. And so lives of TikTok is just like the, I don't know, there was 1800 retweets and 6,000 yeah. likes and, yeah. and getting all kinds of the wrong kind of attention for our school board here. They can't keep lying and they can't keep doing this. Yeah. 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 The, um, you know, there's a lot of messed up people out in the world. Uh, what we call the TRAs or the radical trans rights activists are a lot of broken people in that bunch. And uh, then you also have a lot of do-goody people trying to just uh, do the right thing, what they think of, and they're fed and they believe this, uh, the harmlessness of the medicalization, the lifelong medicalization and body modification of children. Somehow they think that that's okay. Uh, my anger or my uh, lust for vengeance, though, is principally towards the government and this professional class. I want them to burn. I really like I really want them to eat crow in the most fabulous way. And I'm pretty sure that they'll get out scot free. Um, 
probably get off, you know, with a maybe some bad looks or something like that. But I, I really just have so much loathing yeah. for that class. That's a, that's a bit like the Wall Street. Uh, uh, yeah, like that bubble, yeah. You know, robbers uh, during the uh, during every bubble, right? You know, they they walk away with their millions in bonuses and, and, and golden uh, parachutes. You know, some some poor patsy somewhere takes the takes the fall and and gets blamed for the eighty billion dollars that was lost and and, uh, and then there's other things that get exposed, right? There's there's uh, you know during stock market bubbles, there's the Bernie Madoffs that get exposed because they can't keep their shit together anymore. And like like Bernie Madoff, he was like kind of a pundit kind of guy, or was he was, he a, he was a, a Ponzi schemer. Okay, yeah, so yeah. A Ponzi is a financial pyramid scheme where you pay your your growth out to your early investors based on new money coming in, yeah. and it can't sustain itself without more and more money. And uh, as when the markets collapsed, there was you know margin calls, and uh, I think it was over fifty. Was it five billion dollars or fifty billion dollars? Like it was a huge amount of money that he'd scammed out of. People. Oh, well, the yeah. same the same thing is hiding within this this gender um, ideology within the medical system, within within the school systems. Within there, there are people who are exploiting this and taking advantage of it and taking advantage of people. Um, you know, Jack Jack Turbin. Uh, he's a He's a fool, but uh, yeah, he, he put his name, he put his reputation on this gender stuff. And uh, I'm sure he'll go down in flames, but the people, the board of the APA and the AAP and all these different medical uh, things, it's like they're just like this editorial board. They'll kind of course correct um, and uh, be, be off uh, scot-free unless some sort of uh, lawsuit um, could happen or litigation. But other than that. Which is weird because, you know, the social justice activists and the woke warriors want to tear down the Canadian government for the atrocities of the residential schools. Yeah. Like we should just take, we should just decolonize and destroy our whole society because we need to pay for the, the things that happen to the, the indigenous kids in the schools. At the same time, as they are morally righteous, deciding what's best for children, inserting themselves between parents and children, state knows best we're going to be the parents of the kids now we're going to separate the, the, the parents influence from the children hmm. it's exactly the same thing that happened in the residential school system yeah 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 um, well you know and i could see that like maybe subconsciously uh the ideology um and I don't like talking about the race stuff, but it's very predominant in the woke ideology, but it denigrates the white race and whiteness. So it actually works to the favor of the ideology to uh, end the white race if they hate whiteness so much. I don't like going here with the racial stuff because it's, uh, you know, it's shoddy territory. But if you are castrating and, and mutilating a generation of white people, it kind of fits into the ideology to be righteous about that in, in a very perverse way. That's another one of the correlations, I think, I, and I think you alluded it to, alluded to it earlier about how this affects, you know, middle upper class kids. We should be able to figure out what correlations there are to race and class um, with respect to kids who are who are going down this path of, of gender transition. Yeah. If there if there's cor like if there's a one to one correlation with the social justice ideology or wokeness and gender and people who are transitioning, that's a pretty damning finding to be able to prove that with data, even though it seems so obvious. 
um, you know, people who are gay exist across all political spectrums and always have, hmm. you know, they, uh, but if, if there's this, you know, just this kind of irrefutable thing that it's one-to-one with ideal, with woke ideology or social justice, mm-hmm. um, and there are other like, you know, big possible correlations there. But what uh, you're saying is that uh, it could be the case, which probably is, that social justice is transing kids. It invented the concept of the trans kid, and it created the reality of the trans kid, this one ideology. And and is the vector of social contagion. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you got to be a humble scientist. Here's what happens at the end of a stock market bubble. They threw a shitload of money at fixing the problem. Massive bailouts. So we have organizations that have built up Genspec, right? Um, Segum, uh, you know, Rhyme. Uh, we've established, I won't name the, 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 the foundation we were established. In, I've established in Canada where Aaron Kimberly's on my board and, and Mia Ashton, and we've got a couple other people. But I think that with this kind of findings, if they reveal what, what we might hope they reveal and the bubble is bursting and we've, we're building the infrastructure to, to move past it. Right. So we've got a board of directors. We've got people who are tracking this. We're ready to receive government funding now to go and try and fix the problem and remediate this and, and, and be part of the shift out of this mass, mass formation or delusion or, okay, well, or what have you. What is this, what is the shifting out of practically involved in? I, I, uh, just off the top of my head, I would say, uh, resources specifically for detransitioners resources specifically yep. for schools. So a lot of, yep. uh, uh, re-education, re-education yeah. or de-education. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I say the word re-education, I'm, I get flashes in my mind of other places that have exercised re-educations and that's really scary. Um, but, but we will need to figure out some way of deprogramming, um, people who are are drawn into this. And, you know, a lot of people will wake up and go, I can't believe, or they'll backpedal and go, no, I was never really into that. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have, uh, we'll have, it's a research foundation that we've created. So we want to be figuring out, um, you know, what the negative impacts are ongoing and, and like you said earlier, how we might uh, figure out how to educate people to avoid these kinds of um, uh, contagions and manipulations and, mm-hmm. um, and, and then to study other patterns of harm. Um, you know, being here in Ottawa and being a networker, I, I sometimes cross over with some of the lobbyists and some of the PR and government relations people. And one guy close to a high-level liberal here said, well, it's like, like zero, you're going to get zero appetite for any conversation about gender. But if you can get us data on cutting, eating disorders, and self-harm online, we're all over it. And if you could uh, actually slip in the data that those are heavily correlated with gender, then they can't deny it, right? They can't deny it. You got yeah. them in the corner. But but right now, as far as I can tell, the, our cohort, we have people across the country, well, BC and in Ontario who are running for school board who are trying to talk about this. I'm being really, really explicit. Like, we're sterilizing kids, everybody. Yeah. We're, we're wrapping it in, in rainbow flags and calling it inclusion. Yeah. Um, and, and so I'm getting attention. But, uh, but we're the only cohort of politicians in Canada, and maybe there's a dozen of us, who have dared to speak out about gender ideology. 
in, in the whole country. And I've talked to some of the senior level people in the uh, conservative leadership campaign. And they're like, you know, well, we couldn't do anything about C4 because you didn't you don't understand. They were going to call us bigots and transphobes. Hmm. And, <laughs> and, and I said, <laughs> so, okay, just sacrifice the children, right? Yeah. Uh, that sort of ended the conversation. <laughs> but Man. there are, on the, on the other hand, uh, Benjamin, there are people, so I, I can't, like, I can't explain. I was having a conversation with, back and forth with uh, Lisa Marciano that, I think you've had her on, right? Yeah, yeah, lovely woman, Jungian analyst, and and you know one of the one of the you know, big things if you approach Jung at all is this idea of synchronicity, um, and and like, suddenly things happen. So I I bought a my mom was moving from the west coast to the east coast. She needed to get her car from Vancouver to New Brunswick, and I said, well, okay, mom, I'll drive the car fine, but I'm gonna do some little detouring, and I'm gonna kind of go on a mission. So I chatted with some canceled teachers and professors and yeah. and uh, people working at various levels of government in British Columbia. And I grew up there, or spent my teen and university years there. And so some people I know have grown into you know professional roles and leadership roles and things like that and, and giving me intelligence about what's happening in first responders and nurses and city of Vancouver and city of, city of Victoria and all this woke stuff they're pushing back on. And someone said, oh, you should go to this conference in Calgary. Like, I've never heard of that organization. He's like, well, you're, you're not supposed to. <laughs> so I get there, and the opening speaker is like, well, we're not really a secret society, but like we kind of are. You can't talk about what we talk about here. And there was probably 100 people in the room, like smartest room I've ever been in. Uh, and th they all know. And I managed to gut punch the room with, you know, we had there was a panel presentation on what's happening with gender ideology and women's sex-based rights and various other things and like really powerful stuff, right? And then they allowed speakers and I got up and I said, well, like what these great people haven't said explicitly is this, right? We are sterilizing vulnerable children. We know that 35% of them have autism, comorbidities of anxiety, uh, depression, cutting, obsessive disorders, all of these things. And we're, you know, puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones sterilize these kids. So we in Canada today, we think of ourselves as a country where this couldn't possibly happen. We are sterilizing vulnerable children in Canada today. Um, and, uh, you know, the former leader of the, the national opposition uh, was standing behind me and questioned, and he put his hand on my shoulders and he said, well done. Leaders know, and um, you know they're trying to confront them publicly isn't working. Hmm. But they're when we get to a tipping point, yeah, it's it's going to shift. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. They'll. Uh, I just I doubt any of them will uh, voluntarily wear the scarlet letter E for eugenicist, but <laughs> they're basically yeah. all <laughs> complicit. It, this is this is you know the woke like to talk about systemic abuses and prejudice and racism. Now this is a systemic problem. It's yeah. in every system that we have: yeah. education, higher education, government, every level of government. Um, you know, workplaces, everywhere. Uh, it's it's it is the system at the moment, yeah. and we got to crack it open. 
back to Jung, it does sound kind of like you're facing a dragon in a very literal sense. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. 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 And so uh, what's the psychology from, from your point of view? You did mention that you try to keep your emotions low, but what, what are some of the discoveries on the level of your own character that, that you've been forced to reckon with or, or that have emerged in uh, pursuing this? Um, well, I walked away from that event in October with Chris and Chanel shocked, but something shifted in my core. This is what you're meant to do. This is your purpose. This is what you've been waiting for. And I got glimpses of that in my twenties. I felt like there was something that I could contribute. I didn't know what it was. Uh, and I don't know, uh, and then my kids came along and, you know, you carry water and you chop wood, they become the most important thing in your life and full focus. And I, and I sacrificed the path that I was on, <laughs> uh, that, that had me like with an introduction to Ken Kesey at the Oregon country fair in the late nineties. And I was like, I was going to ride my bicycle down the 101 from Vancouver and spend some time in the Oregon country fair and hang out with, with old Ken. And, uh, and that was diverted because, you know, family came along and I, and I sacrificed that, um, which one should, I believe, when kids are involved. Uh, and it was, uh, it felt like a long time of like, I'm supposed to do something and I can't quite figure out what it is. Yeah. And, and then, and then this, you know, this difficulty, this real challenge that's facing us as individual families and us as society and then you know, all these kind of coincidences and skill sets and capacities. And I'm like, well, like I'm, I'm the only guy that can do this. And that feels kind of strange. Hmm. Um, but I, 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 I wake up with purpose every day. Um, uh, that I was always like, well, I know I've got one of those somewhere. <laughs> uh, recently on this Jungian life, they did a piece on the diamond. The daima is like your spirit guide, right? It's like that part of you that that's there's this higher sort of voice that guides you um, and tells you where you're supposed to be. It kind of gives you a slap or a kick when you're going the wrong direction. And I and I feel like I'm kind of locked in in step with that force in my life now. And uh, come what may, I will. <laughs> I'm on the path. Huh. That's wonderful to hear. Um... You know, I'm, my imagination's going wild with the uh, science fiction, dystopian, utopian possibilities of the technology you're developing. I could see, uh, you know, like um, in the early 2000s, this SARS thing came along and uh, the government got so uh, up in arms about it that they decided to start to funnel research into studying the coronavirus. And they opened some labs and did some gain of function research to study out uh, this, mm -hmm. this virus that we couldn't make a vaccine for. And then it might've been the case. Um, it might come to light one day that they designed uh, what they were trying to stop. They, they designed the virus that they were uh, trying to fight, but then they also designed the vaccine for the virus that they designed. But it could be the case that, some uh, ideological Fauci comes along and says, well, that gender ideology was so messed up. We have to, we have to figure out how it was working. We have to design something and, and study how it, how it, uh, we're going to start this lab out in, uh, you know, rural New, New Brunswick. And we're going to study this, uh, in, in this mainframe and 
create this uh, thing so we can see how to undo it. And then it leaks. Somebody goes to a market and opens up their cell phone and it, it pings over. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. The, the contagious algorithm yeah. leaks out with another. Yeah. Well, it's a mind virus, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, has so many parallels. I, I'm sure, but also uh, that being said, like the warning uh, dystopian novel being said, it could be the case also that you could use it to study holistic ideologies. If if human beings do need religion, um, that that's a question. If you could say that human beings are eventually going to form your religions no matter what, what are some of the good aspects? What are some of the good ideologies? Mm-hmm. What are some things that lead to healthy life outcomes? What are some of the patterns of belief that give people happiness, purpose, and reason and put them in touch with themselves and other people? You could potentially actually start to study how people are good and how our cultures are good. There are, yes. And uh, you've you've had Jonathan Pajot on a few times, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, So I'm, I mean, I love his stuff. Yeah. I love his way of thinking. Um, I think that the technology that we have can actually map archetypes, digital archetypes, Mm -hmm. because we constellate around patterns of behavior, right? Um, and and egregores they're called. That's exactly right. And we call them, we call them egregores or mass formations or, you know, and and historically human beings have tried to put words and, and language to describe these things. We call them various things like angels and demons, gods, demigods, heroes. Um, and each of the patterns of archetype and the archetype of transgender uh, art ideology has a, a very sort of um, descent into the underworld. Like, I think it was Persephone that was drawn down into the underworld and then had to be rescued. Um, by, I want to say it was Hecate. Mm, uh, her mother, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, but and, Persephone uh, could never, she could only come out once a day or something like that. And, and half she, the year. She was half the, oh, year. half the year. Okay, but she was married yeah. to Hades. So That's right. So it, what she descended into the underworld in infertility, that's the winter. And when she came up into the into the world above, that was the summer. And that's that's sort of the mythic description. And there's some connections there, and there's some older patterns. But we have, uh, like, we're living right now in the late stage capitalism, and that's a, that's a, can be described as an egregore um, or as a major archetype um, of. Uh, can we get planetary? Can I go astrology here? Sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so there's five major uh, planetary archetypes besides the sun and the moon. It's like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You follow me? Yeah. The days of the week are named after the seven heavenly bodies, yeah. sun, the moon, and the five planets. And then five planets are uh, Mercury, uh, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, and Saturn, not in that order. But those are God form archetypes, or they were labels we used to, well, we're going to tell stories and we're going to attach them to these things in the sky as we're staring under the stars, right? And looking up and from generation to generation, we use those as memory pegs to tell stories about the war God and the fertility goddess and the, the big moving patterns of growth and expansion, which is Jupiter. And we used to call the Saturn archetype, the great malefic. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then Mercury is this little thing kind of running around ding, and, ding, you ding, know, ding. shapeshifter and trickster and all of this. Um, and, and we can look at these, these large patterns uh, using that language. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I don't know, maybe Jonathan Pajot will, will poke him on this because I think, I think that those five planets correspond directly to the big five archetypes, mm-hmm. uh, the big five personality type inventory. Mm-hmm where um, Mars uh, corresponds to what they call it aggression or, or extroversion, but it's really driving aggression. It's that external yan energy that we have. Mm. And, and the um, uh, agreeableness pattern that we all have inside of us and to whatever degree on the spectrum is more like that nurturing, maternal, protective, um, uh, feminine archetype. And then, you know, uh, openness, is the Jupiter archetype. That's like the expansion and growth and let's get out of our safety and comfort zone. Hmm. And then we've got Saturn, which is structure, order, and rigidity and and conscientiousness. Um, Mercury is the messenger. um, And it corresponds to neuroticism. So we have fleeting thoughts. uh, We have emotional ability. We've got, uh, you know, um, all, all these different functions of the inability to manage our attention, uh, like our attention switch isn't working properly when Mm. Mercury gets out of control. Um, And I think, I mean, those are examples of big archetypes that we can map culturally using a technology like this. What are the major archetypal forces? Mm. Because they they have to, we have to aggregate them somehow. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't know if you know how the big five was created. Do Do you know the story? I, the only thing that I can recall about it, because I always forget all these different systems, but I do know that I think it was Peterson and maybe a couple other people have said that that was the one of the few scientifically valid yeah. psychological uh, patterns. Uh, yeah. This set. One, so in the 1930s, uh, a guy named Marston came up with the what is now the DISC model. Uh, he was at Harvard, and... A uh, disc is uh, a driver, influencer, uh, supporter, and conscientiousness or something. Mm-hmm. And he was a bit into kink, so it was dominance and submissive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And they, they sanitize the language of it, but it's a four-quadrant map of a personality. And Jung had published in, I think, 1921 personality types. So there was sort of like a flourishing of interest in personality uh, yeah. in science at the time. And a group of people took the Oxford English Dictionary and they did a lexical analysis of all of the uh, adjectives that describe human behavior. So they, they took the dictionary and they broke it down into, like, let's try and categorize this. And strangely, the descriptors seem to fall into five patterns. And so that was the first sort of iteration of the big five analysis in the, I'm going to say, like, 32, 33. Okay. Then in the, it, we're getting into the mid eighties, I think they, they approached it again as it became more uh, interesting in public consciousness and in academia, uh, more in fashion. And instead of uh, using the um, dictionary as their source for lexical analysis, they used interview patterns and they took all of the words and descriptors. And funny enough, again, they all fell into these five categories. So these are five natural language patterns. And it goes cross-culturally. It doesn't matter what 
what language you speak or where you come from in the world, these five patterns exist. Hmm. And, and we know they exist because we like, those are the categories of our language when we describe how people behave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, over tens of thousands of years of preliterate humanity, we pegged those things to the planets and we told stories about the different personality types that we have. Yeah. And we shared, we shared in the archetypes, there's always a, um, a conflict right there's a dark uh problem that needs to be overcome in the hurt in the hero's journey the dragon you talked about yeah um and and the there is the solution to the problem baked into the whole archetype and it, it follows in cyclical patterns so every archetype has a solution to its own problem hmm. um and and when it transforms it um it iterates heals grows and achieves its its yeah. heroic power. Yeah. Uh, the gender issue in and of itself, I, I've said this over and over and over again, I think that it is absolutely essential because it is the framework by which we express sexual, we express sex and initiate sexuality. And from gender, from the pairing of men and women being attracted to certain traits with each other, it creates new life. It is the, yeah. the vehicle by which human beings as cultures and as units thrive. It is probably, it is the most essential thing. I think there might be God underneath that, but that's kind of out of yeah. any given person's pay grade well, to really like get into that. But it's the unknowable, um, the, the, the void or the deep in the beginning was mm -hmm. the void. And then God moved upon the face of the earth and divided the heavens light from the, the earth dark, and, yeah. and light from the darkness, right? That's the masculine feminine archetype. That's the yin yep. yang symbol. Yep. That's, that's the mother of the 10, mother of the 10,000 things in, in sort of the Eastern religions. And then mm -hmm. it bifurcates into masculine and feminine archetypes. Mm -hmm. It's the foundation of every, um, sort of religious yeah. faith tradition yeah. mythology is is men and women yeah. um and and baked into that too is that we have a little bit of the opposite in us you know in order for us men to be able to understand women which i think we're still working on um <laughs> i got it figured out check. like and subscribe my content to know how to understand women. <laughs> last you know last i checked um it, it, that helped that little part of us that has a, you know, a feminine archetype that we embody helps us understand the other sex yeah. and helps us relate. And, you know, it, it really fries my, my, my noodle to think that, you know, a man could actually know what it's like to be a woman. Like I could never know what it's like to be Benjamin Boyce. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. We can't know what it's like to be another person. Never mind uh, uh, someone we, we have less biological, you know, traits in common with. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So to go back to what you're saying about the uh, problems baked into the problem is the solution. If you think about it archetypally somehow. Um, but I think that when the gender bubble bursts, it might be the case that it's an opportunity for us to understand the mystery of men and women to understand or to get a better grasp on the vulnerability of the feminine and the the need and the yearning uh, for the feminine within the male. And a lot of like with autogynophilia is just an extreme love of women, it's such an extreme love of women in a certain way. And yet it's pathologized in our culture and it's taken to gross extremes by 
allowing identity to rule the roost, but it is a very um, compassionate, uh, positive thing. It's just it can just go to the extremes. Um, and a lot of the distress uh, with the young women running away from their femininity and not really understanding femininity. It, it's an opportunity for us to really investigate that mystery and that, that which is probably one of the most intimate aspects of us being our sex uh, and not just our private parts, but everything that informs yeah. us. I think it will force us to do a lot of reflection around those experiences and perceptions and views and um, I think also that it's going to ask us to connect again to uh, to the earth to the biosphere I think it was Jennifer Bilek did a piece is it Jennifer Bilek uh, about about us being uh, part of the biosphere and the biosphere uh, you know inherent drives of reproduction and masculine and feminine um, well we're going to have to touch grass you know, like, and figure out, hey, you know, like women have uh, menstrual cycles and, you know, men have uh, different, different uh, reproductive drives and cycles than women do. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, we, we have bodies that we exist in and those are real things. And yeah. we're going to have to reassociate from digital space that, that we're, we're, we're all spending so much time in, reassociate into our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people who are talking about uh, you know, trying to protect their kids or pulling the kids out of school or taking them away to horse camp or they're, you know, getting them out into outside activities and taking them camping and canoeing and getting them connected back to the, the mother, right? The earth that we live on, the environment that we live in, recognize how deeply connected we are to it uh, and recognize that, that all those natural cycles are, are us. Like we, yeah. they're, they're part of us. We're part of them. And, uh, and that we can't, we can't technology our way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, reminds me of, uh, Genesis when, um, man and woman, they eat the fruit and they get kicked out of, uh, the chat room with God. They have to go <laughs> toil in the field, right? The, uh, they have to associate with, with labor and with pain and with snakes and with growth and, uh, perpetuation and with death ultimately yeah. ego death. Yeah physical death and yeah. uh, i wouldn't be upset if uh there were cherubim with flaming swords placed at the gates after we get out of this <laughs> <laughs> those flashing swords that's right yeah. well shannon this has been a surprisingly fascinating talk we started with geekery well we started with freemasons then we went through a whole yeah. uh, conspiracy theory and then we yeah. ended up uh, speaking about the, the beauty of literature and uh myth um so how let's plug your work what is this project called how can people learn more about it and i will link all the links in the description and how can people support you if they so choose uh right now i'm i'm fielding inquiries from people who can be founding donors uh, we only need a handful or, or so. Uh, I've contributed $5,000 committed to the project. Uh, we've got a couple other key donors that we're looking at. Uh, we can get tax receipts for U.S. donors for $1,000 or more up to a limited number of people because we're, we're borrowing some charity status uh, to get this. Email is the best way to get me. Uh, and my email is shannon at one word, chasingquicksilver.com. Um, 
and then I can send details to people who are interested in participating in this. We're going to do some information sessions in the coming weeks, uh, working on a white paper and a deck uh, to give, you know, like I, I've shared an awful lot. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we already did astrology. <laughs> 25 years of tarot uh, over here. Oh, wow. uh, You're like yeah. this little... Uh... Hedge Blue fund lizard. manager, hippie guy, <laughs> <laughs> this mystic man of the market. Yeah, I've, I've been super curious about all those different uh, uh, memory. I think tarot is a, is a memory technique. I think it's a pictorial textbook of psychology. Mm. Um, I, I won't. I won't. Maybe we'll talk about it another time. Um, uh, and that that I was able to help pass down wisdom from generation to generation. I think it's uh, descriptive. Um, and uh, prescriptive, not predictive. Hmm. Uh, you know, people get caught up in the, I'm going I'm to cut some cards and predict the future. I, I personally don't think that's how it works. Um, but if I were to cut a card, I'm, oh, no. <laughs> I only do birthday cards and Christmas cards now. Uh, <laughs> so uh, helping out on the project, yeah, uh, reach, reach me directly. It, it, uh, is the project have... called Chasing Quicksilver? What's the cool or ominous acronym that you guys have for it? Okay, I'm... He's still branding it. It's still I'm like... resistant to... Okay. So we founded a nonprofit in Canada. Okay. I'm resistant to naming it right now because there's some privacy stuff that I want to make I'll make sure we're bulwarked against. Okay, okay. Um, but I will, I will share that information with people who reach out to me. Um, and... Uh, um, as well as the name of the company. So when we do the information sessions, we're going okay. to present the company and what they do, okay. and we're going to do a deck, and we're going to provide the back the back uh, story of um, uh, Lady Hill, the white paper, and all the references and, that the scientists want. Yeah. And uh, we'll, uh, the engine's already going to be running for a couple of weeks at that point. So we're, we're kind of at 15-ish thousand dollars. I haven't tallied up the contributions this week. Yeah. Um, and you know we're going to need to have a forty to fifty thousand US to run this for six months, but once we get to six weeks, I think the results are going to come out. We'll do another information uh, session. We'll release info to donors and and supporters uh, about the first initial findings in the direction we're going, and I think that that will be enough to you know generate the rest of the momentum needed to run for you know the next four or five months after that. Wow, uh, it's very exciting. Wow. It's yeah. crazy. It's insane. It's science fiction. Yeah. Almost seems like it, eh? Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the future. Um, Indeed. Let's hope we don't destroy ourselves <laughs> or wrangle ourselves back from the edge of the abyss that we're currently teetering upon. Yeah. Existential risk. Maybe next time we'll talk tarot cards. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll get you and uh, Lisa to, to uh, Marciano to uh, spar. That'd be fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> You are one credit away from uh, your psychology degree. Short of a psych and, degree. <laughs> and now I know what that credit's in. 